Are you guys ready? Are you ready for the Word of God today? Why don't you get your Bible and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6, somebody. Isaiah chapter 6. And I, I just, I can't wait to share what God has given us to share today. And it really comes from Him. And it was so impactful in, in the 815, more so really than I anticipated because I, I just... I don't know. I wasn't sure what to anticipate because what I have to talk about today, I've never preached in the history of this church. I, there are very few messages actually on it that I hear or have heard of recently, but um, we're going to talk about it today. So Isaiah chapter 6, and I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to stand with me as we read God's Word together, and you say, why we got to do this? Well, I, I was raised in a church where we always stood when we read the Word of God and, and I think in the day in which we live, when everyone is, when our culture is set against God in the way that it is, where just posting a scripture can be hate speech, apparently, in our culture. I mean, I put out a video on Instagram uh, this past week, and, and it, I think it's over 20,000 views or so at this point. And I've been amazed at the level of hatred I've received um, from people who claim tolerance and who are telling me I'm being hateful. And I'm like, I didn't say anything mean. Like, you started talking about my mama. You know, <laughs> like, what, what are we talking about right now? You know, like, um, but, but I think in a world that is set against God, and there were comments like, well, that's your God. He's a figment of your imagination and, and these type of things. And it broke my heart because I thought, this isn't what our culture is like. This is what they really think because they've been educated by social media and TikTok. And so many things they said in there, I'm like, do you realize how erroneous what you said is? And, and, and I would never post this, but some of it was just blatant stupidity. And a lot of it was just chosen ignorance. Um, because choosing not to know the truth, when God says, when Paul says, oh, I shouldn't have gotten into all this. Never mind. Anyways, Paul says they, they, they mistook like they changed from creation to the created and they exchanged the truth for a lie ultimately because they didn't want to deal with the truth. And so they would rather live. I mean, this, in other words, what we're seeing in culture is nothing new. It's in the book of Romans chapter 1, right? Um, but it says they exchanged the truth for a lie. And I thought, man, that, who would do that? And I thought our whole culture would because I would rather live in my lie because it's how I feel and what I want than to actually know the truth because that might demand change. It might inform me differently than I... Anyways, I shouldn't have gotten on all that. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6, everybody. And all I really want us to do was stand for the reading of God's Word because this is not another book. This is not just a book, and we're not having a book club, and I'm not giving a book review, and I'm not giving a book report today. This is the active, living Word of God. It is like nothing else that exists. It is breathed out by God, and we breathe it in. It is living bread. Come on, somebody. And so today, if nothing else, I want to honor God by standing and just reading from the Word of God. Like, what a privilege to have the Word of God in our language and to have 80 billion different translations in our language when there are people today that do not, they do, they, there are people today that do not have this, and there are people today that cannot gather like this. And what an awesome opportunity we have. And so I just want us to stand for reading God. We may do it every week, we may not. I may just, just depend on how I feel. I'm just kidding. 
but I want us to read from. So Isaiah chapter 6. Now what's going on in Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 is going to say the, the year that King Uzziah died. So this is the 8th century. King Uzziah was the king over Judah. He was probably the third most successful and prosperous king, uh, only in comparison to Solomon and David. So it's David and Solomon, and he's probably the third most successful, prosperous king uh, in the realm of Jehoshaphat, who was another great king. Uzziah came to power at age 16. He reigns 52 years um, and, and he actually, I mean, not only does he's over the southern kingdom of Judah, so we know after Solomon, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, the, the kingdoms divide, and there's the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern king of Judah. And so he is over Judah. Judah stays a little more close to the Lord. Israel has some bad kings like Ahab that kind of lead them into idolatry. And so, uh, but he's the king over Judah. And, um, and God speaks to him and uses him. A lot of people don't know this, but he actually really gives credit to God. But actually, we first see catapults under the reign of Uzziah. I mean, like God would give him inventions and strategies to protect the people, and they would continue to prosper. So he was a righteous, righteous king. He did make a mistake later in his life. Um, and he actually went into the temple and offered incense as only the priests were supposed to do. And because of that, uh, he was struck with leprosy. Uh, and lived out his days in seclusion. But now either he has, and theologians don't really know, Bible scholars don't really know, either we assume he died in this year because it says in the year King Uzziah died. We don't know if he's dead yet or not when this is actually being written. We know he's in seclusion. We know he has leprosy. We're not sure if he's actually passed yet or just no one knows for sure if he's passed yet because as a leper, you lived all by yourself, right? Um, and so, but that's what's going on. And that's what prompts Isaiah to go to the house of the Lord. How many know it's a good thing to go to the house of the Lord when everything goes bad? Like if nothing else, like this could be your word for the day. Like some of you needing a word for the day. Maybe your word for the day is you did exactly what you needed to do. Maybe everything went wrong this week and you said, I need to go to the house of the Lord. And I would say, that's exactly what Isaiah did. When everything went wrong, he went to the house of the Lord because there he knew he could meet with God. And while he couldn't change anything, he knew God had a provision or an answer. And maybe that's the word you need today is to know that maybe you can't change anything, but God can change anything. So in the year King Uzziah died, he went to the house of the Lord. Come on, somebody, prayer needs to be our first response, not our last resort. So Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Th those are important terminologies and pictures, etc., because the the way, a, the way a king, if you will, a magistrate displayed their wealth and power was their train. How ornate and even how long and how big, you know, that, that kind of, does that make sense? And he's saying his train filled up the whole temple. He's like, in other words, he is the most glorious of all glories, right? He is the most majestic of all majesties. It said, above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. I didn't even think about it this morning. I read that the house is filled with smoke. And I said, that's what we talked about last week. We were talking about Pentecost. And we said it filled the house before it filled the people. God filled the house. And again, my prayer is God fill the house. Just like you did here with Isaiah. Fill the house with smoke. And he said, so, so Isaiah said, woe is me. 
for I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. And we're going to come back to this. He wasn't saying he had a cussing problem. We're going to come back to that. And I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king. Come on, somebody. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having, his, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and with it he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Ooh, I want to talk to you today. I called this message like no other, like no other. And what I want to talk about today is not popular. You don't hear a lot about it. In fact, when I tell you in one word what I'm going to talk about today, you might instinctively think this is not for me and or this is going to be judgmental or condemning and you will miss the whole point of what's about to happen in this room. But what I want to talk to you about today is the holiness of God. I want to talk to you about holiness. And so let's pray today. God, thank you so much that you are holy. And if we don't understand what that means right now, God, I pray as we explore your word together, as the Holy Spirit enlightens our hearts and our minds, Lord, let us catch a glimpse of what Isaiah saw. Let us catch a glimpse of your holiness today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. I don't know why. I, when I say that, you know, I'm old school church, so I want to be, like, there's, there's several things that come back to your mind. Like, I almost said, you can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Anyway, some of you, have you ever been to old school church? You know, that's how you can be seated in the house of God. You know, I don't know. Anyway, um, when we talk about holiness, I want to talk about holiness and it's because, why? Because this is what the Holy Spirit asked me to talk about. How many know he's a Holy Spirit, right? But I want to talk about holiness. And if you're sitting here thinking, oh no, this is where he tells us God is holy and we are not. That's not exactly what the message is about. In fact, I've heard all those messages. I grew up in a Pentecostal persuasion of church. Now we weren't Pentecostal in that we didn't have, we didn't have snakes, y'all, if, if, if you're thinking that was Pentecost. Um, we didn't have, like, our, the, the females wore makeup. I mean, we, we weren't, and there's different, you understand, there's different flavors. It's like Baskin-Robbins when it comes to denominations, right? There's a flavor for everybody, and inside each ever flavor is another flavor, right? Because you can have coffee, or you can have coffee with chocolate chips. You understand what I'm saying? There's, there's all types of flavors. Come on, somebody. And so in, in the church that I grew up in, a lot of times when people would talk about the holiness of God, I knew it was coming because they, they would quote from the Word of God, and, the, and it's true, so without holiness, uh, this is Hebrews chapter 12, without holiness, no man will see the Lord, right? They would, they would quote that and, 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 and it'd be like, well, that, that is true. And, and then they'd quote from Peter, be holy as the Lord God is holy, as though in some way we could make ourselves holy. Like when you really understand what holiness is, it's like, has God left me to make myself holy? Is, is, is holiness a work of the flesh as though by changing anything about me on the outside, I could somehow change the condition of me? As though I could change something about the outside and change the way that I exist. Like, like but it's, be holy. And then they would talk about how we dressed and what kind of music we listened to. And I'm not saying there's not an application for that. But I just remember thinking God is holy and I'm not, and that's what holiness means. And the truth is, in that and with that, and because of whether it was condemnation or conviction, and sometimes there's a fine line, 
Sometimes we leave this idea and we know that God is holy, but what does it mean that God is holy? Why is it important that we even understand why God is holy? That's really kind of what I want to talk about today because I don't think that is talked about enough. So what does it mean that God is holy? Well, the word holy means to, to cut away or to separate, to be separate from. It's, it's awesome. If, when we say God is holy, what are we saying? We're saying he is like no one else. He is like nothing else. He is supremely separate. He is awesomely autonomous. He is beyond anything comprehensible. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, which is a great book. Um, I read it some years ago. I reread it the last week. But he says this. He says, we cannot grasp the true meaning of, the divine, holy, of divine holiness by thinking of someone or something very pure and then raising that concept to the highest degree we are capable of. God's holiness is not simply the best we know infinitely better, infinitely better. We know nothing like the divine holiness of God. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. Holy is the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to a standard. He is that standard. See, God is completely unique and definitively distinct. He is completely separate. When we say God is holy, what are we saying? See, God exists differently than you and I exist. It's hard for us to comprehend because for us, we only know creation. We only know history. We, we only know us and and, and God exists differently, meaning this, everything we know, for example, everything we know actually comes from God, was created by God, but God came from no one. God was created by nothing. God just existed. We all came into existence. God is eternal and has always existed. It's kind of that question, well, who made God? Well, if someone made God, he's not God. Because the moment you make him, he's no longer, he's not divine, he's not unique. If the creation can create him, he's less than the creation. See, God's very different than us. We need God to exist. Everything we know needs God to exist. For the writer of Hebrews said that he holds all things together by the word of his power. God is holding today your life together. God is holding the universe together. This universe where if just one of the rings of Jupiter changes a little bit, we blow up, right? This universe where if the earth just tilts just a little bit, we die, right? This universe where if the rotation slows down just a little bit, we float away, right? I mean, like anything, any minute change in this big cosmic universe of the Milky Way, we cease to exist. And God holds that together. We can't even hold our lives together. <laughs> has anyone fallen apart ever? God has never, nor will he ever, fall apart. Like he exists differently. We need God. We, we need his oxygen and we need his sunlight. 
God needs nothing. That's what Paul says, Acts 17, that God actually needs nothing. We need a shoulder to lean on, a shoulder to cry on. We need an arm and a hand to depend on. And God needs none of those things. He has never needed any of those things, nor will He ever need anything from anyone to be anything other than He is, which is perfection, which is holiness. God is holy. He is completely set apart. He is beyond, higher, superior. He is above. He is perfect. When we talk about the holiness of God, one theologian said it this way, the holiness of God is his attribute of attributes. When you think about it, God has a lot of attributes. I mean, God is loving. God is kind. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is all-present, right? I mean, these are all, God is merciful. God is just. These are, these are all attributes, but, but the attribute of all attributes is God's holiness. In fact, it is holiness that makes all the other attributes so incredible, because holiness essentially means it is beyond, higher, set apart, different, distinct. It is the only attribute of God that is raised to the superlative in the description of it in the scriptures. Meaning, when, when Isaiah has this vision, these seraphim didn't say God is holy. They didn't even say God is holy, holy. They said God is holy, holy, holy. No other attribute. We say God is love, but there's no place in Scripture where you say God is love, love, love. But God is gracious. There's no place in Scripture you say God is gracious, gracious, gracious. See, we use this a little differently. This is actually a, a Hebrew literary device for emphasis. When you, when you add words together, it increases the emphasis of it, right? Like Jesus would say, not just truly, I say unto you. He would say, truly, truly. Like he'd say, I'm about to tell y'all the truth. Y'all need to listen up. This is very important. See, in our culture, when, when we use a word more than once, we actually de-emphasize it. Are you hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry, but I'm not hungry, hungry. Right, we're actually de-emphasizing the word. Are you sure? Well, I'm sure, but I'm well. I'm not sure. Sure. <laughs> right? Like you're funny, but you're not funny. Funny. <laughs> you know, girls be like, "Was he hot or was he like hot, hot?" <laughs> well, he was hot, but he wasn't hot, hot. <laughs> anyway, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like we we are de-emphasizing, but in in Hebrew culture, to emphasize something, they would say it consecutive times, and so Jesus would say, being Hebrew and teaching, right? He would say, "Truly, truly, I say." But in all of Scripture, you'll not find one attribute of God that is raised to the third degree or the superlative degree. Meaning, He is not holy. He is not just more than holy. He is most holy. There is none more holy. There is no one comparing to Him. There is nothing like Him. God is holy. That's why we're being told in the text that he is, he is holy. Now, in this text, there are two characteristics of holiness that we can see in the text. The first one is his transcendence. It's this way. Remember how I pointed out when we read the text? He said, I see the king or I saw the king. It's interesting because what was happening in the text? The king died. In the year King Uzziah died. I saw the king. 
it points to the fact that God doesn't have a beginning and God doesn't have an end. God can't be weakened by disease or sickness. God doesn't have a starting point and he doesn't have an ending point. He doesn't have a birth and he doesn't have a death. He transcends everything. And in the year where, one of the, where the best king that Isaiah, I mean, if, if, if you're king for 52 years and you're a good king and then you pass away, the whole country is mourning because the next king may not be as good as you. Like we, we never had this experience because we have a president for four or eight years and then just pray the next one is better because that one was terrible. And it doesn't matter whether he's Democrat or Republican, he was terrible and we're hoping the next one was better. Right? I would pick a president and say, wouldn't it be nice to have this president for 52 years, but your opinion is going to be different than mine. Someone's going to be offended. And so I'm just not going to pick a president. I'm just going to say they had a good king for 52 years, but their king was carnal. Their king was finite. Their king, their king was limited. And the first thing that, that Isaiah, Isaiah sees in, in the creation, the created king, he had limitations, but I saw the king who was without limits. He transcends. He is self-existent and self-sustaining. He doesn't need oxygen to breathe. He doesn't need sunlight to thrive. He doesn't need people to encourage him. He's never had a bad day. He's never been just a little bit off. Like he is not created. He has no needs. He exist in and of himself. He will never need a hand with something. And if he needed one, he would supply the hand that he needed because he is completely and awesomely autonomous from anything that has ever will or ever will exist. And he said, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the transcendent king. The king who existed, as we said, differently than the king I had just lost. The king that never came to power and would never lose any power. Right? The king that reigns above all and no one can take his place. The king that never has a question, that never has a worry, that never has a want, that never has a fear. I saw that king. That is my king. He is transcendent. The other thing that we see in the text is his moral purity. And this is usually where holiness camps out, that God is morally pure. And, that, and that's true. And we need to understand that. What does it mean he's morally pure? It means, it means essentially that, that God is unequivocally righteous. He is perfectly pure. He's unwavering, honest. He's completely clean. He's spectacularly spotless. He's fantastically flawless. You can say it however you want to say it, but it means God is perfect, perfectly moral, perfectly clean, perfectly spotless, perfectly flawless. And many times when we hear about the, the holiness of God, we we think about how he is holy and we are not. It's similar to, to the, the experience, if you will, that Isaiah said, because when he actually saw God and he saw that God was holy, what was his response? Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Now, this is a Hebrew idiom. It wasn't that he had a cussing problem. He wasn't a sailor. For the Hebrew, unclean lips meant all of me was unclean. Jesus would say it this way, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth. So if you've got a heart problem, you've got a mouth problem. Right? In fact, you can, you can tell the condition of your heart by the condition of your mouth. 
And so in this moment, he sees the Lord and he realizes he is pure. He is perfect. He is spotless. God is pure through and through. Every part of him is pure. Every part of him is spotless. Every part of him is perfect. God, listen, he's never had a bad day. God's also never had a bad thought. God's also never had a bad motive. Do you know the phrase we have um, as a Christian phrase? Uh, I, I grew up in a church. I had a pastor uh, that I worked for one time, and, and he, he really needed to get saved. And I mean that and with all due respect. But he would say all the time, in fact, most of my job was cleaning up his messes because he'd say, well, I got in the flesh. And that, that was, and if y'all don't know that, the Bible talks about how there's a fleshly part of us and a spirit part of us. And by the spirit, we're supposed to put to death the deeds of the flesh. This is Paul talking in Romans 8, right? In other words, we live by the Holy Spirit's promptings, not by our flesh's urges. Well, he, he couldn't get that straight. So I had a lot of fixing up things where he got, well, I got in the flesh and I said something I shouldn't have said. Has anyone, based on that definition, has anyone ever gotten in the flesh? I got in the flesh and said something, did something, acted away, acted a fool, whatever it was. I, I got in the flesh, right? Someone cuts you off and then slows down and you get in the flesh, right? And that has a vernacular to it. Sometimes it has some sign language with it. You got in the flesh. God has never gotten in the flesh because he isn't. He's never had a bad day. He's never had an off day. He's never had an impure thought. He's never had an impure motive, which means he's never had a bad thought about you. If you've ever thought God had a bad thought about you, he didn't. And you know why he doesn't have a bad thought about you? Ironically, it's because he's holy. Do you know why God has never had a bad motive against you? Because he is. Someone cuts us off, we get unholy. God remains holy. He's never had a bad thought. Never had. Let me say this. God has never been out to get you. Because how many of us have thought, oh, he's out to get me. Oh, he saw what I did. Right? He's not. Why? Because he's holy. See, now there's a challenge with holiness. There's a challenge with holiness. There's really two challenges of holiness. One is us trying to understand it. Because, right, it's, it's beyond us. In fact, because God is beyond us, apart from us, he is transcending us. But then at the same time, I need to understand him. Like at the same time, I want to know him. But how do I know tr transcendence when I'm not? How, how do I know infinity when I'm finite? How do I know limitless when I know very well I'm very limited? How do I know all-knowing when I'm unknowing? See, the problem is that when we try to make God understandable and accessible many times without, without meaning to and trying to, we actually make Him like us. Because essentially we're trying to fit God into our box. I had an atheist friend of mine say, he said, I don't understand your God. My response, if you could, would he be qualified to be God? If you could understand God, I should write a song and worship you. If he's truly holy, 
And so what happens in subjecting God to our understanding, we inevitably make him like us. And in so doing, we subject him to futility and finiteness. And since we are the one who has now defined him, we actually become the ones that now judge him instead of him judging us. We actually do this. I've seen a lot of pastors, I'll give you three. When we see suffering, we judge him many times as unrighteous. Let's just be honest. When he fails to perform the way we think he should perform, we judge him as untrustworthy. God didn't come through for me. I was believing God for this. I was believing God for that. And now when we, when we feel like he didn't do his job being God, now we're like, can I even trust God at all? When he falls short of our understanding of his word, we judge him as dishonest. It's all things we struggle with. The problem in all this is that the finite has now become judged to the infinite. The limited has now scrutinized the limitless. And the ignorant has now critiqued the all-knowing. See, why do we believe that God, who did not exempt himself from suffering, would it somehow exempt us from the same? Why do we presume to think that God who is all-knowing, creator of everything, a God who is holy, should somehow have to explain his actions or inactions to us at all? See, if we're ever to worship God truly or follow him completely or serve him wholly, then we must begin by accepting the very essence of who he is is beyond us. He is completely indescribable, entirely incomprehensible, and wholly unfathomable. Yet through his Son and by his Spirit... He has revealed himself to us in a way that does not give us a license to define him, but rather a liberty to discern him. Please understand the difference. I'm not here to define God. I'm here to see him where I can, to discern him where he'll allow me to. It's not my job to create a God box and make him fit in it. It's my job to understand that there is no box that could ever contain him. And any glimpse of him I can see, any picture of him that I can gain, any understanding of him that he would allow me to know, those are treasures and those are glimpses of glory that is beyond the finiteness of my frailty. It's hard for us to understand. The other thing about holiness that's hard for us is the experience that Isaiah has because it is in the glimpsing of his holiness that we realize we are not. That if I really see God as holy, I'll be like Isaiah and say, whoa to me. I am undone. Translation, this is how I die. Right? That's, that's literally what Isaiah is saying. Whoa! Like, like I came for a prayer meeting because I needed God to show out, and then God showed up, and now I'm going to die. Right? That's basically the conversation. His holiness reveals our unholiness. Because what we understand about holiness is if God is holy, then he must be just. Because you can't have a perfect, holy God and Him be unjust. Holiness cannot cohabitate with unholiness. God Himself said, Exodus 34, talking to Moses, He said, He will not 
clear the guilty. That's what God said. He said, I won't clear the guilty. If I'm just and I'm holy, then I must deal with sin. If I'm just and I'm holy, then I must confront sin. And this is where we get to the wrath of God. I know one wants to talk about what is the wrath of God. You need to understand, when, when we're talking about the wrath of God, God doesn't exist like us. For us, anger is a secondary emotion. Usually we're angry because we're hurt or we're angry because we're scared or we're angry because we're confused or insecure. God's wrath doesn't come from insecurity. It sure doesn't come from confusion. It doesn't come from pain, right? God's wrath certainly doesn't come from fear. Who, who would he fear? God's wrath is holiness confronting unholiness. God's wrath is just when God encounters something so far from him and so unlike him. When perfection encounters the flawed, God is so holy, so perfect, so righteous, so true, so honest, that when, it, when God confronts anything that doesn't look like that, wrath breaks out. Why? Because he's completely just. And he can't, he can't overlook sin. Any sin, all sin, is an abomination to a holy God. Sin is abominable, offensive, demonic, rebellious, faithless, unrighteous. It's lawless. And a holy God can't, can't cohabitate. This is the problem I have with our culture, I think. Our culture has seemed to make it where God and sin are friends where I can be holy and sinful at the same time. Where sin somehow fits into holiness. And we've increased our, we've minimized our sin, maximized our righteousness, and in so doing, minimized his holiness and minimized his power and minimized who he is. See, the truth of it is, the truth of it is, we actually need God to be holy. Like we actually rely on his holiness. Because a God, a holy God, because he is holy, he's the only one that can judge. And because he's holy, he's the only one that can justify. See, we actually rely and depend on the holiness of God. It's because He's holy that we can trust in His love. It's because He's holiness that holy that we can receive His mercy. It's because He is holy that we can accept His righteousness. God's holiness is what makes Him just, trustworthy, honest, righteous, loving, and kind. If God is perfectly perfect and fully flawless, faultless, then He can't fail, He cannot fall short, and He cannot forsake. If God is holy, he can't fail you. If God is holy, he cannot forsake you. And if God is holy, he cannot fall short when it comes to you. We actually need him to be holy. If God is holy, he cannot sin. If God cannot sin, he could never sin against you. It is impossible for a holy God to do you wrong. It is impossible for a holy God to fail you because the moment he does, he is unholy. 
if he is inexhaustibly limitless and boundlessly powerful, then he can never make a promise to you that he lacks the ability or the capacity to fulfill. We actually rely on the holiness of God because it is his holiness that pursues us. It is his holiness that redeems us. It is his holiness that saves us. And it is because he is holy that we are not lost. Now here's the best part. Isaiah 6 verse 7. It says this. It says, Then he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now this is going to be great. Because God is holy, whatever he touches becomes holy. This is what happens. Isaiah is like, the king died, I'm going to the church. And in the year the king died, I see the Lord, the king of kings. And oh no, he's holy and I'm not. And this is how I die. And then the angel comes and takes a coal from the altar of the Lord and touches it to his lips because he said, I'm a man of unclean lips, meaning all of me is unclean. So the angel touches his lips, meaning it touched all of him and in a moment, the unclean became clean. He said, your iniquity is gone. Your sin is purged. Because God is holy, whatever he touches becomes holy. This is the thing. If God can't, like if God can't exist with sin, if sin is not compatible with a holy God, <clears throat> and we're sinful people, like I don't care what who you are in this place and how you think about yourself. All of us, there's not one person who's going to stand up and say, I am without sin, I am without flaw, and if you do, sir, I'm going to ask your wife to testify. <laughs> not one of us. We all know, we all know we're not holy. And so what does a holy God do when He wholly loves with a holy love, an unholy creation. See, when we talk about the attributes of attributes, if you put holy in front of every one of God's attributes, it starts making sense. Like God is loving, but He is holy. Like His love is holy. Why? His love is set apart. He doesn't love the way we love. His love is without condition. Ours is with condition. His love never changes. Ours changes. His love never fluctuates, never gets greater, never gets less than. Ours can go up and down depending on how we feel with the day. But His love is a holy love. So how does this God who has this holy love, who is a holy love, who is a holy God, how does He deal with a creation that He loves, that He wants to be close to, that He longs for, who is unholy, understanding if he's holy, he's just, and if he's just, their sin has to be punished. If he's just, their wrath, his wrath has to break out upon them. How does God deal with this? This is what God does. He sends a holy sacrifice. One who is spotless. One who is blameless. One who in and of himself is holy. And God who has been Holding back his wrath since the fall of since Genesis chapter 3, somebody. 
A God who has held his wrath and has provided a means of sacrificial atonement whereby he could restrain the part of him that has to justly confront unholiness, yet God covers it with blood and sacrifice and restrains his wrath knowing at some point this wrath has to be released because I have encountered what is not like me. But because I am holy and my love is holy, I have restrained it and offered a system of sacrifice whereby justly I could restrain this wrath for a time appointed when I will send of myself something that looks just like me, that is as holy as I am. And in that moment, I will release all the wrath that is deserved of an unholy creation, but I will aim it at that holy sacrifice and pour it out until that cup is empty. And that's what a holy God does in order to make holy an unholy creation. 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul says this, God has united us with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. Look at this. Christ made us pure and holy and freed us from our sins. From his holiness, we're cleansed. From his holiness, we're purified. From his holiness, we are perfected. Because he is holy, we lack nothing. Because he is holy, there is nothing wrong with us. And in a world that tells us we are everything but, the holy God of the universe tells us, you are holy because I am holy. And so what is our response to the holiness of God? We talked about it from the beginning when, when, when the Bible says, when, when it says, be holy as God is holy, is how do we achieve? We can't make ourselves holy. But yet without holiness, no one will see the Lord. But I want to see the Lord. I want to know the Lord. I want to experience and encounter the God of the universe. So, so how do I respond? God has made me holy. What does it mean? Well, I can't be holy like God, but I can be holy because of God. I can't from my own self exist, and I can't from my own self be perfect and holy. However, in light of His holiness, because He has made me holy, what does it mean to cut or to separate, to set apart? Then, if God has made me holy, here's what the Bible's telling us, then I should live like a holy person lives. Like this is what's missing in the church today is the idea of holiness. We love the idea of grace because grace says no matter what I do, Jesus has paid for it. Yes, because God is holy, he is gracious. But the Bible doesn't, doesn't necessarily, God never said be gracious as I am gracious. He said be holy as I am holy. Well, I can't make myself holy, but because of him, I can be holy. So what is my response? Well, my response to grace is to receive. But my response to holiness is how I live. This is exactly what happened to Isaiah. Because here's what Isaiah actually said. He said, after, after all these that we had read and the angel touches his, his lips and, and, and his sin is atoned for or purged, 
said, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom will I send and who will go for us? And then he said, here am I, send me. That is the response to holiness. My response to holiness is to live unto the God who separated me from my sin. Who separated me from judgment. Who separated me from what I deserved and what I was owed, if you will. And because he cut that away and separated me, now his holiness informs my life. His holiness reorients my life. How can I say God has made me holy and be comfortable with sin? How can I say God has set me apart and then try to live like everybody else? How can I say God is holy and I am holy, but I'm trying to live in as much sin as I can get away with? Because the first thing that Isaiah says is, because he's made me holy, he separated me. And I must ask my question, or, or the question, what has he separated me for? What has he separated me to? Well, he separated me to himself, but what has he separated me for? And he comes to the same conclusion, if you will, that Paul tells Timothy when he says, you have been called with a holy calling. This is not like everybody else lives. This doesn't look like everybody else. This doesn't act like everybody else. This isn't mundane, going through the motions, go to work, come home, go to work, come home. This is not what that's like, raise a kid, whatever. get the kid up, get the kid to school, get the kid home, feed the kid. This is not that. No, there is a holy purpose. A purpose where the glory of God can be seen in your life. A purpose where the power of God can be displayed through the holy God and his holy creation said, who will go for me? And Isaiah says, I will. Because you've cut me away from sin. And you've cut me away from culture. I'm not saying we're changing the dress code at the church. Hopefully y'all know that. Girls, you can still wear makeup. Right? Guys, you still wear blue jeans. I'm not talking about those type of things. But I'm talking about in a culture where the church disregards the holiness of God so much, we're trying to see how much sin is acceptable in the church. I'm saying in response to the holiness of God and His perfection and the beauty, if you will, as the psalmist says, of His holiness, how do I respond to that, to the God that made me holy? And what we see from Isaiah is the first thing that he does is he realizes, I'm not like them. Here am I. Send me. I don't, I don't exist like them. I don't live like them. I don't act like them. I don't always talk like them. I'm not trying to be them. Not because I'm better than. But because he's the best. I'm not holier than them. But he is holier than all. And he has touched my lips. And he has touched me. And that's why in a culture, like you could go down the list, our, list, our purpose is holy, it is set apart. Our worship is holy, it is set apart. Worship is ascribed only to him. Why? He's the only one deserving. He's the only one holy. He's the only one self-existent. He's the only one self-sufficient. He is the creator and sustainer of all who doesn't depend on anything. What else could I worship? And in, in a time of idolatry, let us reserve our worship for God.
Many people are worshiping idols. Some have put God's name on it because they've created a God in their image that is okay with their sin, that is not holy at all. The problem is an idol, this is what I would say, if, if your God has never disagreed with you, you have an idol. See, here's the great thing about idols. Here's why people love idols. Because idols, no idol requires change. Here's the downfall of idols. No idol has the power to change. This is why God is God and God is holy. A holy God requires change, but a holy God will touch your lips with coal and change you. A holy God requires change, but a holy God can change your situation, change your circumstance, or change you in the middle of it. A God who is holy is truly powerful, and He is powerful enough to actually change you. An idol requires nothing and can do nothing for you, but a true holy God requires everything from you and can do anything for you. And that's why our worship is reserved for Him. I don't have time to talk about it, but that's our identity. Our gender is holy because He's touched it. Because He created it. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, Jeremiah 1. I knit you together in your mother's womb, Psalm 139. We live in a world, ironically, where race is sacred and sex is not. We live in a world where nothing is holy. We live in a world where even people that profess the name of God choose to live unholy. And what I'm saying is that if we really catch a glimpse of the holiness of God, it changes how we live. It changes the way we see God, but it changes the way that we see ourselves. Because if God is holy and I am holy, my purpose is holy, my identity is holy. My worship is holy. My gender is holy. Sex is holy. All the things that this culture tells us are not holy. They're actually holy because they come from the Holy One. I prayed and I asked God, I said, God, I don't really know how to end this message. (laughs) Because I've never preached it before. And I felt like what God said is he, he just wanted us to take a moment with Him and basically ask ourselves and look at ourselves and even talk with Him and say, in light of the holiness of God, do I need to do anything differently? In light of the holiness of God, do I need to change anything at all? Do I need to see myself differently? Do I need to make different decisions? Do I need to change some things? Do I need to reorient some things? Do I need to change pursuits? Like how does that impact you, the fact that we talked about this holiness of God and God has made us holy? Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I need God to touch me like He touched Isaiah and to purge and to cleanse me by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Maybe I've judged Him unfaithful. Maybe I've judged Him untrustworthy. Maybe... I've judged him unrighteous and I need to walk that back a little bit and and say, you know what? I don't understand, but 
I am still the finite and you're still the infinite. I don't get it, but I'm still the limited and you're still the limitless. I'm not here to make judgments about God. I'm just here to catch glimpses of Him. And so I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. And, and I'm going to pray. And then what we did earlier, because you can feel, and as we pray, you'll feel the presence of the Lord. And, and so I'm going to ask Josh just to play for a little bit. And they're going to leave all the lighting and everything set. We're not going to brighten everything up and switch gears. And we'll have people up here for prayer because maybe you need someone to pray with you. Maybe you need a relationship with the Lord. Maybe you need to be forgiven. Maybe you need some help with that, and that's why we're here. Maybe, maybe you just need prayer, and we always pray for anything and anyone, and we would be honored. But maybe you need to sit in the presence of the Lord. Maybe you need to come kneel at, at an altar. Maybe that's how you're needing to respond today. And so we're just going to kind of leave everything like it is. There won't be anyone else in here for another 25 minutes. And so if you need to take some time, just like, why do we want to rush out of a moment where God's dealing with us and trying to speak to us? And, and, and let me say that. I don't say that to try to get you to stay. If you need to go or you're good to go, please, you don't feel bad about going. That's, this is not about manipulation. Does that make sense? This is about providing an opportunity because we had people in the, in the first that just needed to stay a little while. And if you need to stay a little while, you stay a little while. Does that make sense? Your church. And if you're ready to go, you're ready to go. And don't feel bad about either. Does that make sense? Lord, we don't need condemnation from men. We get enough of that from the devil. Are you with me? We just want to provide an environment. That's all I'm saying. And so I'm going to pray. And if you want to stay, you're welcome to sit. You're welcome to kneel. You're welcome to come to the front. You're welcome to get prayer. And if you're ready to go, you are welcome to go. I just ask do it as quietly as you can this, this time. Does that make sense? And so, God, I just thank you so much for a day in the presence of the Lord in, in the presence of a holy God Lord like Isaiah we want to see you and that'll change everything about us but that's okay because we will have seen the King and we will have seen pray for our church. Lord, let us have a true revelation of your holiness so that when, we, when we're believing in you, we know that that is faith placed in something and someone who cannot fail, who cannot forsake, and who cannot fall short because you are holy. And when we rely on you to save us, there is no question about your ability to forgive, to cleanse, to purge, to redeem. Because you, you are holy. Lord, we want to be holy as you are holy. And we want to see you and we know without holiness we can't. And so God, today we ask that question, how do we need to respond to this message? How do we need to respond more than the message. How do we respond to your holiness today? Lord, show us. In Jesus' name.
Hey, Pastor Marty here from Pathway Church. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. And I want to encourage you to get connected and stay connected. And there's several ways you can do that. Number one, you can download the Pathway app and we are all the time offering resources and information on that app for you. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you do, make sure you click the bell so that you never miss any life-giving and life-changing content as we add it to the channel. And then also, uh, make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook. Look, our hope and heart for you is that you walk in the purpose for which God made and created and redeemed you for. We love to connect people to purpose. We thank you for giving us this opportunity. And if you're ever in Longview or you are in Longview, I'd love to invite you to join us in person each weekend. Listen, I pray God's best for your life. I believe if you follow Jesus, your best is ahead.